if cows was a country, they would be the third biggest emitter of greenhouse gases after the US and China. People like eating meat and drinking milk and eating cheese, you know, uh, so we have to find ways to do that sustainably because at the moment it's not sustainable. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Najahi Events and Smartcast, our awesome new sponsors. Go check them out. Okay, Rowan Hooper, my next guest on the podcast, is the author of a book called How to Spend a Trillion Dollars, The 10 Global Problems That We Can Fix. Just imagine if we could with a trillion dollars. But is that a large amount of money? Well, to most of us, we can't even imagine that much. But Apple's worth over two trillion. Defense spending is more than a trillion. Maybe that could give you some perspective. If you're listening to this episode on iTunes, then why don't you leave me some five-star ratings? What's going on with you? How much content do I need to produce so that you give me a five-star rating? Come on, it's not that big an ask, surely. If you're listening to this on any other podcasting platform, then leave me some likes, some love, give me some feedback, because the more that you do that, the more that the algorithms understand that other people should be shared this type of content too. And that's what we're trying to do, get a bigger audience so that more people can benefit from these phenomenal stories of these wonderful people that we meet here on the episode every single week. Okay, so let's start the conversation with the number one trillion. Now, it's talked about quite a lot as uh, a number we can't imagine. It's, uh, you know, we talk about one million and then we compare it to one billion and one billion is so much bigger. Yeah. Yeah, But one trillion is yet so much bigger again. And whilst you can write lots of zeros on the end of that number, what does it really mean? If we give it perspective, how how can we give it some form of comparison? Right. So I did this in a number of ways. So physically, I think if you got a $1 bill um, and just stacked up $1 bills in a, in, a, in a block, you could do a city block of Manhattan going up to 45 storeys, and that would be a trillion dollars. So a trillion is a thousand billion dollars. Uh, or you could, if you filled the Colosseum in Rome, you could fill it four times over with dollar bills, and that would be a trillion dollars, like roughly. So physically, that's, but it still doesn't really mean anything, does it? Like, you know, that, that's just a vast amount of paper. Yeah. But um, so a trillion is about 1% of world GDP. It's about the amount that the world spends on the military every year and a bit. Um, it's, it's what Google is worth. Uh, Apple's worth $2 trillion. Um, you know, there's ways of looking at chopping it up like that. But I, I picked it because it's 1% of world GDP. But also, so it's a sort of nice round number. <laughs> but also because, um, as you say, that number is talked about a lot, uh, especially after coronavirus. We started hearing it a lot about stimulus packages. And the EU, um, the US in particular, have spent m- you know, many trillions now on, st- on coronavirus stimulation packages to get the economy going again after mm-hmm. that. Um, and they found this money. Right, um, and and then and then President Biden has has uh, already done a 1.2 trillion dollar green stimulus package. He's trying to get the Build Back Better bill through, which is 2.2 trillion, and then this quantitative easing. And in in the in the pandemic alone, that's been six trillion dollars 
just, and then QE is a weird thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Just created money, $6 trillion. And then don't even start about what happened after 2008, the amount of, of money created to bail the banks out. Yeah. So, uh, and the other, the other thing to, to mention is Forbes did a look at all the assets of the 1%, the top 1% of, of richest people in the world. Uh, they control $162 trillion in assets. So all of that is to say there's a huge amount of money just out there kind of sloshing around or, or that can be found or created. So the point of this book was let's get some of it. Imagine you could get a little bit of it. So a trillion in that sense is a little bit of money that's out there. And what could you do with it? Um, because my frustration is that as a science journalist and a scientist in the past, I saw how slowly science was progressing. And it's not because we don't know. We, there, there, in some cases, it's, there are big, deep problems. We, it will take a long time to solve. But in most cases, it's just lack of money. And it's the same with the world's problems. It's not that we don't know how to fix them. We just no one bothers fixing them for want of funding. So it was like, well, let's just get this small amount of money and chuck it at some of these problems and see what would happen. And that's why. That's the point of the book. Yeah. Okay. So let's go through. Let's go through the, the different things that we can do with this money. Because it's nice. I like this money. Yeah. Trillion quid, trillion dollars, whichever we're going to have. Either way, it's, yeah. it's, it's a big number. It's, it's interesting how you put it in the beginning of the conversation with. It would make a, a forty-five or fifty stories tall in tower blocks. It would mm. fill up the Colosseum four times over. So we then go, "Wow, that's huge!" And then your you, you, your flip side is, "Yeah, but that's only this." If you look at it as yeah. you know, the yeah. government spending one yeah. was the one that hit me. It was the defence spending. Yeah. Sorry, I was like, "Ouch!" Didn't like yeah. that. You know. Yeah. Um, we know quantitative easing exists. We know that they print money. We're suffering with inflation at the moment on the back of yeah. you know some of those problems, but. We're going to spend this money really wisely. Let, let's take water, because water is actually something I've been doing a little bit of research on. If you solve the clean water problem, it's essentially it's solving the problem of lots of illnesses. Yeah. So rather than bringing in vaccines for various polios and typhoids mm -hmm. and choleras and all this kind of stuff, the clean water means that none of that then becomes a problem. Yeah. So, and that's, you know, that, that affects, I think that the, the number is... Um, 750 million people are affected by not having clean water every day. Wow. So yeah. 750 million is twice the population of the United States or 10, 11 times the population of the UK yeah. don't have clean water. Yeah. That, that's just, a, that, that again is just, yeah. a, just, a, yeah. just a huge part of our population. If you could solve that, you could solve so many more problems. And solving that problem requires obviously money to get going to get it on the ground did when when you were doing your research for your book were these the things that kind of like really resonated with you as you were doing your research or were there things that were more important than clean water for example is <laughs> um, everything got the same level of importance that's, oh no that's, I suppose that's no the kind no of thing. no they, they everything doesn't have the same level of importance and it's and it's a subjective book as well these are 10 things that I would do with the money right it's someone else could do 10 different things um, uh, the water thing's really interesting because I touch on it, but what's interesting about it is, as you say, you solve one root problem and it's, it solves other problems that come from that in, in, in health. Um, and that has massive impacts economically, right? Because if people are not ill, then they can work. 
um, and they also they don't have to drain on the healthcare system in whatever country mm -hmm. they're in. So you know, solving this problem here saves money and makes money further up the chain. Um, and that's so in chapter two of this book, I look at um, healthcare. So that's tied into you know giving getting people adequate nutrition and water and clean water. Um, and you, you would have to spend a lot of money to provide good healthcare globally. Um, surprisingly, not that much money, really. It's, it's doable. Um, but the benefits, the money you save down the line is what, is what really you know, made me you know, become really surprised. Because I, you tend to think, I went into this thinking, all this money I'd spend is spent, you know, but actually it's invested and it makes money and, and it saves you money. Um, and, and so in healthcare, that's a great example. If you, if you spend money on healthcare, people grow up to be uh, better educated, stronger mentally and physically, um, and, and they work and it, and it saves money in the system later on and generates money. So, you know, it's, when you when you see it like that, you, it's hard yeah, to but, but, okay. understand so why people don't do it. Let's say you and I are in business together. Yeah, we're business partners. Doesn't matter what the business is. Whenever we decide to invest any of our money or use any of our money in our business, we're going to think about the best business case for our money. Now we might have some personal biases yeah. based upon our own experiences, but we're going to try and make the best best decision for the business. Yeah, because we want it to be profitable, and maybe we want to have an IPO or sell it one day or whatever. Yeah, surely. Governments are presented with solutions, like you found in your book, like the healthcare solution, yeah. which not only recoups the money that's been spent, but also makes it more profitable or, or, or better revenue generated or saves yeah. money, whatever way you want to put it in the future. Um, so why don't they do it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, a question of politics. So again, that's something I don't really go into. I know, but a, a, out of interest, it's kind of like, why, why not? Um, why would common sense not prevail? Because I think in many countries, governments get voted in and their mandate is to do what you know, their party has said they want to do. And in, in, my, in some cases, that might not be providing health care for the people. You know? So it's not in the United States, right? They don't have a health care system mm -hmm. that's free at point of, of, of use, right? But if you look in Cuba, They've got one of the highest ratios of doctors to the to people in the world. Wow! Um, so, you know that that's because their government has different priorities, um, and and it varies all, all over the world the amount of doctors to people ratio, um, and and the kind of healthcare system. So, I looked at how to how could you so this all really came about because um, Priscilla Chan and Mark Zuckerberg set up a foundation called the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative mm -hmm. a few years ago, and they put $3 billion into it. Um, and their stated aim was to cure all disease in the world by the end of the century, and to extend human lifespan to 100, so that everyone globally would live to 100 and there would be no disease. And it's just absolutely, I mean, even by Silicon Valley standards, that sort of ambition, that sort of thing to state that's what we're going to do is jaw-dropping. Yeah. Um, but that is their stated aim. Um, they've said they're going to probably plough their entire fortune into it, which is currently about $60 billion. Um, 
and they've set up all these foundations and, and massive amounts of research now going into this stated aim to cure all disease. Um, so I looked at that. What would you have to do? They've put three billion in, they're going to put 60. Uh, what if I put a trillion in? Could I cure all disease in the world? Um, and the answer is absolutely not. <laughs> you can't, you just can't do it. Um, the way they're trying to do it is, and it's really admirable what they're doing, loads of really cool sort of technology and AI they're using and they're looking at, um, you know, mapping all cells in the body and doing loads of cool stuff like that. But all the people I spoke to basically said the only way you can do that is to have universal health care globally. So you need to have a national health service in every country, basically, that works. Mm -hmm. um, and a trillion dollars is not enough to do that globally, right? So I look at, well, how could you, what could you do to try to start the ball rolling? Um, and I talk about that in, in, in chapter two. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just about... So there's a, there's a whole group of, of doctors and medical professionals put together a, a paper called The Grand Convergence. And what they want to do is bring all countries in the world up to the same level of, of, of healthcare that you find in a sort of decent, you know, advanced country. Mm -hmm. um, and they put together a, basically a roadmap how everyone can get to and have a, this grand convergence in healthcare by 2035. So basically I would just use that roadmap and put money in the right places and start, the, start it going. And that's the way to do it. I've talked about chapter one, which was what happens if you give all the money away. And we said about how it moves people off the rung, um, off the bottom Which is fantastic. rung of the poverty ladder. Yeah. But what I found out also in that is um, some of the things you can do when you give the money to families, you can give it unconditionally, right? And just say, here's a thousand dollars. It's yours. Or you can say, here's $1,000, we'd like you to spend it on whatever you like, but also give your kids some education. You know, it turns out you don't have, most people will spend it on their kids' education as well. But if you say that to them, or if you actually, you can make it a condition, you can have this money, but we're going to check you up that it's gone to the kids' education in part. If you put those sorts of ties on it and find out what happens to the kids, um, it it has amazing benefits. And the, the, just the one I want to talk about, though, is for girls. Because I think, I, I think I've got this right, that there's 150 million girls around the world that have no education, right? Um, and it wouldn't cost much, actually, to get them educated. The UN um, spends a lot of money on trying to get kids educated around the world. But you'd only have to put in another $40 billion a year to get all children educated around the world, which $40 billion is, is something that a, an individual could do, let alone I could do if I had this, the, the trillion. Sure. So you could get universal education around the world. And just as a, a fundamental human right, mm -hmm. that seems to me worth doing, right? Yeah. Especially with girls, you know? But then you look at the, uh, one, an extraordinary knock-on effect, which is that a girl who has not been to school has four to five children more than a girl who's had education, right? So educate, basically girls who've been to school have fewer children. And that 
means there's a much smaller carbon footprint of those families, those girls, when they make families. And there's, um, there's a foundation called the Drawdown Project, which looks globally at what needs to be done to get us to a net zero position to get to address climate change in all different sectors. And one of the biggest things that, you, that we could do is to educate girls because it just has a dramatic effect on carbon footprint globally. Fascinating. So it's not just something that we should do morally anyway. You mm -hmm. know, girls should be, go, be allowed to go to school, yeah. right? But it has this incredible knock-on effect on, um, in the fight against climate change. Um, so you, for, for, for just $40 billion a year, you could do that. So, you know, for, so in, in chapter one of the book, I look at, okay, you could give, you could give a lump sum of $1,000 to the poorest 10% in the world and provide universal education to all children in the world for 10 years. And that's the trillion dollars spent. So after I'd done that, it was genuinely difficult to think of where to go next, to think that I can't really spend the money in any other way. Like, that's surely the, the right thing to do. End of book, you yeah. know, ends at chapter one. <laughs> no! You know. Um, but of course, um, you know, climate change it, and the biodiversity crises are the biggest things in the problems we've got by a long way. And if we don't tackle those, these kids that I've just given all this money to aren't going to have a very nice place to grow up in, or their grandchildren aren't, you know. So you, we really need to tackle those problems too. So I've looked um, at the climate and biodiversity crisis in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, so climate change has been called a, a hyper object, um, which is something that's so vast in time and space that humans just can't grasp it. You know, it just has constant, it's just too much for us, which is probably why nothing's been done about it for so long, right? But so I've chopped it up into, into try to make it into manageable segments, um, and they form different chapters of the book. So, chapter three is how to get to net zero. What, what could you do to get, get us off fossil fuels, basically? Yeah. Um, chapter four is, is solving the biodiversity crisis. Mm -hmm. what, what can we do about that? Because you know, we're taking too much from the planet than, yeah. we, than we put back in and it's just completely unsustainable. And, you know, it's, it's our life support system that we're, we're, we're killing, yeah. you know. Um, so it looks at that. And then I look at um, changing world agriculture because, you know, we eat too much meat, basically. Mm -hmm. So we need to, how, how, do we get, how do we turn that around? So I look at it in, in different in different ways to try to make it try to make it manageable. Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day about Germany and the population of Germany versus the amount of animals each year they they um, have to consume. And now obviously chickens, pigs, cows, all that all that mm. together. And I think the population of Germany is something in the 80 million mark, mm. and they consume three times as many animals as the population. And you think about that, it's just, it's unbelievable that you think that much is caused. And then you look at the, 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 the problem that's caused by creating that amount of cattle. Yeah. Well, so the, the one that always sticks in my head is if, if cows was a country, they would be the third biggest emitter of greenhouse gases after the US and China. 
So there's, <laughs> there's so many billions of them. Wow. They're the third biggest emitter of, of greenhouse gas. Um, and they cause, it's ranching them and, and farming them causes the, the most destruction of, um, of the ecosystems around the world. So most things we grow go into cows to feed them, grow them up so we can eat them or make milk out of them. So you're paying attention, huge, you're paying attention. Huge amounts of, um, of land is being, it gets cut down to ranch cows or to grow soybeans to feed the cows. Um, and, and that's why it's such a problem. It's, it's such a terrible problem that you don't hear about. I don't think you hear about it enough because everyone likes what they eat. You know, yeah. we don't want to hear about that, but it has to be talked about because it's completely unsustainable. And, you know, especially in the Amazon rainforest, it's, it's getting to a point where it could be in real trouble of going because, um, you know, it, the, the Amazon is a self-sustaining system. Mm-hmm. It's so vast, it generates its own weather systems mm-hmm. of rainfall. But if it gets down, if it gets beyond a certain size, those systems break down, it starts to dry out. And we've already seen wildfires in the Amazon over vast areas. If, those, if it gets drier and those fires spread, you, you know, it could be really bad, really, really mm-hmm. bad. If the Amazon goes, then it's really, really, it's not good. Yeah. They're the lungs of the world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, it's not good. So we've got to, got to sort that out. The population's gonna grow and we're gonna have 10 billion people on the planet eventually. How are you gonna feed them? How do you feed them if we've got soil erosion problems? Okay, we don't have enough farmland to produce enough food for all of us to consume. Well, if we don't have a solution to that, we're in trouble, and I mean big trouble. And that's why I'm delighted to have a sponsor like Smartcast on the show, because they are actively working to solve this problem by looking at vertical farming and food security. They are trying to create solutions that can produce fruits and vegetables, all types, to solve the problem of food security in the future. So go check them out, Smartcast Tech on Instagram. I think you find them there. They're doing some great work. So then you, you start off with the first problem, you identify it and you're like, right, that's the problem. Then you move on to the next problem. That's the problem, yeah. that's what we do. Yeah, yeah. Did, did it, did it become, uh, as you were going through that journey, did it become a bit depressing um, to start to think about the, the, the scale of the problem? Yeah, funnily enough, it didn't really because I kept finding solutions. I think what would be depressing is if you identify all these problems and then just throw your hands up and say, we're, we're done. We don't, but we know how to fix all the, these things. So it's actually, I think it's quite empowering Okay, I don't have the money, of course, right? But this shows how we can solve the biggest problems in the world, you know? And I think that is an empowering message. Mm-hmm. And so it's not, I didn't find it depressing. Like the, there are some things, of course, are not good and disastrous, but I, I still need to grasp the fact that we can, we can solve these problems. Did you stop eating meat? I already didn't eat meat, actually. Okay, so you're already a vegetarian. Yeah, although I did stop or definitely cut down on dairy when I, when I learned about um, the, the carbon footprint of dairy. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. shocked me. So uh, I haven't stopped completely, but I've cut down a lot. Um, I mean, so one of the things I touch on here is solutions to that, because people like eating meat and drinking milk and eating cheese, you know, 
so we have to find ways to do that sustainably because mm -hmm. at the moment it's not sustainable, mm -hmm. right? You can look at doing making synthetic meat, mm -hmm. right? Growing it up, which they're getting better and better at. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially with at the moment shellfish shrimps are the easiest to do. They're on sale now in Singapore in restaurants. So that farming shrimps causes terrible damage because mangroves have to be chopped down in Vietnam and shrimp farms are put in place. So most of the shrimps we eat in the UK, the prawns are, come from these places where mangroves have just been completely cleared out. All the biodiversity in the mangrove is lost and the buffer for, for storms coming in, mm -hmm. it goes. So, and it causes terrible pollution because of all the stuff you put in to farm the, the prawns. Mm -hmm. um, so if you can grow them in, in a lab, basically in a vat, you get rid of all of those problems and you, have a, you get a, a shrimp meat that's basically the same. Well, it, it's not basically, it is the same. It is actually shrimp meat, it's just grown in a, in a vat without all those other problems. Now that's been the easiest to do because the structure of prawn meat is very simple. It's not like a slice of beef. Mm -hmm. which is, has much more texture and different tissues in it. So that's taking longer to make to, for scientists to learn how to grow it in a lab. But it is coming along, as you say, and also synthetic milk. And then you can make cheese out of it. So then you could enjoy all this stuff without the disastrous ecosystem problems that they well, cause. You know, every years and years ago, we would never be asked what kind of milk we want in our coffee. Nowadays, every time I have coffee yeah. with somebody, you know, I'll meet Claire and have a coffee, and the first question she says, what milk have you got? That wasn't something we discussed. Yeah, well, that's, that is a great thing, that yeah. it is coming into the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It's a daily conversation now, and, and, and you do see, you know, oat milk, different kinds of milks, like non-dairy milk, all over the place, which is great, because it's started, people are starting to realise, might, you might switch for, you know, perceived health reasons, or you might think, might know about the environmental impact of dairy and want to just cut down. And that's all people need to do at first is cut down. Um, with dairy and with um, eating beef especially, you know, cutting down a bit has a big, big, big effect. So it is great to see it in, in the daily life. Hmm. Okay, so what else did you learn? This is really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I did have a few more sort of indulgent chapters in the book. Um, you know, I was, as a kid, I was really interested, probably most kids, you know, interested in, in space travel mm -hmm. and the planets. So I looked at what you could do if you threw a lot of money at that sort of, in that world. Um, and I was interested in, you know, well, let's see if we can get, go to Mars or um, start a sustainable base on the moon. Um, and I looked a lot into those things at Mars in particular because we've not been there or humans haven't been there yet. Uh, it'd be great to go there, loads of cool stuff to learn, but it's too expensive. Uh, it'd take too long to develop everything. And, and, and for lots of reasons that I go into, it's better to go to the moon first. It's much closer, easier to get to. Um, and we've been there before. <laughs> You made that sound like a hop up the M4. Well, it kind of. <laughs> oh, it's moon's easy compared to Mars. Well, it is actually. <laughs> it is, um, and there's a loads of missions already going towards the moon mm -hmm. at the moment, so we can kind of piggyback on some of those. But I did have to think of why to do it, you know, to justify it, because I don't want it to be just a vanity project. Like Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, and that is, 
he, he's got every right to do what he wants with his money and he wants to go to Mars with it. But I didn't want to just be a kind of despotic spender of a trillion dollars. I needed to try and justify it mm. in some sense. So I have, I have managed to do that with the, with the idea of going to the moon, making a moon base. Um, there's, there are loads of things that you could do up there which would be really beneficial. You could, you could construct it to have a, a beneficial effect gl more globally rather than what's happening at the moment, which is it, it's dominated by either billionaire space agencies like SpaceX or Blue Origin or by China and the US. Mm -hmm. um, and China's already on the far side of the moon. It's got, it's got a rover and a, um, a, um, a lander on the far side of the moon, which has been really hard to get to. They're already establishing footholds up there. The, the US wants to go up in the next couple of years, next few, maybe mid-2020s, wants to put people back on the moon. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to make it a bit more equitable, mm -hmm. get more people up there from just a few countries with a, and a few interests. Now, so Jeff Bezos wants to go to the moon, he wants to establish a, a lasting presence on the moon and his stated aim is to move heavy industry off of earth onto the moon and do all our construction and mining and manufacturing on the moon and make earth into a, a residential zone and then it would take all the ecological pressure that we've just been talking about off of earth and just do it on the moon um, which is great you know i love that idea but that is a long way off. Mm -hmm. It's not really gonna happen in time for us to save this planet. So although I like his stated aim, I've got to think of another reason to go up there because I just don't think that is good enough. Mm -hmm. For me, it's not a good enough mm -hmm. reason to get to put a lot of money into going to the moon. So, you know, I just think that there's, you can make a really, you could make a really equitable and inclusive settlement on the moon it would be a beacon of cooperation globally that you could have that people would just be it would be this you know incredible base of cooperation and science because some of the science you can do on the moon you, you just can't do on earth so you could be able to then study incredible questions about physics and the universe that we that we can't do at the moment and learn all about living on living off planet um, and then it would be a stepping stone to the rest of the solar system. And it would open the door to loads of other really cool things down the line. Um, so, th and actually that's, and it's all quite doable on this budget. So after spending time doing all of this research, you sat, sat there, just imagine if somebody came in with the check right now and it was something that was real, or someone said, I've got a trillion, you're in charge. Mm. After all of this research you've done, when did, you, when, when did you finish the book? Um, end of last, no, end of 2020. End of 2020. So you've had some time to reflect <clears throat> on that now. So if you were in charge of now spending the trillion, after all you've learned, all you've reflected, all you people that have spoken to, all the questions mm. that have come up and all of that, what would, you, what would you now do? I would spend most of it on, it's, it's actually very similar to what, Jeff Bezos has set up with the Earth Fund. So he's given that $10 billion um, and he'll be giving it more, I hope. But the Earth Fund is looking at areas. So 
what I would do, what you need to do is spend the money where you get the most impact for the, for the, the dollars that you put in. So it, it has to be personal because, you know, I think a lot of people would give it to the poor or give it to healthcare. But I think I, what I would do would put it in areas around the world where you can protect ecosystems that are vital for biodiversity and for carbon storage and carbon drawdown. And that means you can tackle the biodiversity crisis and the climate crisis in the same spending round. And that's, so you get two for the price of one in that sense. And what the Earth Fund has done, and what I've done in the book as well, is identify the key areas around the world that, where the most important ecosystems, both marine and terrestrial, where we, we just vitally need to protect those areas um, and work with local people so that they get money as well, right, in order to, to protect these things which are going to buy us time to get, to get off fossil fuels. So that's what I would do. Tell me about the journey after the book came out and the kind of feedback you got from people and what type of organisations started yeah. to speak to you positively and negatively yeah. about what you were okay, thinking. Okay, so my best story is I sent it to Elon Musk um, just before it came out. Um, I was hoping he would blurb, give me a blurb on the cover. Yeah. And uh, he read it. Um, he didn't give me a blurb on the cover, but, and then he just went quiet for a bit. So I stopped bugging him. And then a couple of months after he read it, so in chapter seven of the book, I look at how to get carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and get us back to a place where we were before, you know, maybe in the, in the 60s, in, you know, before climate change started really, really kicking in. Um, and the, way, the things we could do to get huge amounts of carbon out of the atmosphere. And, in, and uh, so at the end of each chapter, I look at, um, here, I, I just literally tot up Mm-hmm. These are the things I'd spend the money on. This is the price, and, and what does it add up to in the end yeah. of, of the trillion? And in, in one of these things, I put to at the moment, we have ways to get carbon out of the atmosphere, right? Artificially. Um, it, basically, they're, they're massive fans that suck at air in, try to extract carbon dioxide and, and get it out, and the, and the air goes back out the other way. Mm-hmm. And then that CO2 gets ter- basically turned into rocks, and then you can bury them. Right. So you fix carbon dioxide out of the air. But the, at the moment, it's very inefficient. And it costs about $600 per tonne of CO2 to do that. So we need to get the price of that right down and to get the, the tech up to a scale that works on a massive scale so we can get tonnes and tonnes of this. I mean, literally billions of tonnes need to come out of the atmosphere. So... I suggested that a way to stimulate the development of this at scale is to, you could create a competition for $100 million, put a prize of $100 million to the first team able to to scale this up to a certain level. Um, And then a couple of months after reading it, Elon Musk created that exact competition. Really? He put $100 million of his money up um, to do exactly what I'd suggested in the book. So... I've spent $100 million of, of his money, effectively, I like to think. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. So that, I thought, was pretty good feedback. Um, and part of, the, part of my 
look, it, it's kind of a, it's obviously a thought experiment, right? And, it's yeah, a, yeah. and, it, and it started off as a bit of fun. Yeah. Like, how would I spend that money? Like a daydream, right? But the secret kind of hope for it was that billionaires might think, oh, I'll, I'll chuck some money at some of these problems or philanthropists might think that or some sort of businesses or something like that might happen. So when, when that happened with Elon Musk, that was, that was incredible because it was, that's what I want this to do is for it to get into the hands of rich people or influential people and for, for some money to be, start being spent on some of the problems and some of the solutions that are in the book. So it, the, the feedback has been positive because, you know... Do you think, do you think that the, the, the world's wealthy have a responsibility because of the wealth they've created more than others to, to make a difference? Mm, God, that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, I think the obvious thing to say is yes, they do. But, you know... People can spend their money how they want. Um, but again, part of the, the, the frustration and the drive for, for, for writing this book was um, if I was that rich, I, I think I would want to do something with it that had made a lasting impact rather than be nice to have a yacht, it would, right? <laughs> or a private island. But then after you've had, got those things and you've still got money left over, why not do something else with it other than just go shopping for gigantic things all the time, you know? <laughs> um, so I do think that maybe they don't have an obligation, the, the super rich don't have, they're not obliged to, but I do think that, I do, don't understand why they don't, why there's not more of this kind of, philanthropy going on. There is a lot of it, but why there's not more of it? Um, because surely you want to create a legacy, right? A lasting legacy for yourself if you're a, a billionaire. And, and there's no better way of doing that than, you know, creating, imagine creating a vast area of protected forest, say, um, and then say, okay, here, I'll give a billion dollars. That's not much for lots of people or a hundred million dollars, create this, we'll, we'll put it into this wildlife park, vast park, uh, but you have to ca call it by my name. Uh, fine, we'll call it by your name, mate. Call it by your you know, name. yeah. And then they can have their name on it forever. And, and that's caused, you know, it's tackled a, a, a really bad biodiversity problem. It might have saved, you know, a number of species from going extinct. Um, and it's drawn down loads of carbon and, you know, we'll, we'll say thank you very much to that, those people forever. Think, why don't people do that? <clears throat> I, don't, I don't know. But saying that, though, I think, I think they do. If you take the Bill Gates and Erlinda Gates Foundation, the, um, the, I mean, he's bought so much land, hasn't he, over yeah. the last few years? Farmland. Yeah. Though. For farming? Yeah. Well, yeah, he's bought a lot of, of farmland <clears throat> in the U.S. Has he bought it for farming, though? Yeah, he's so he bought does... it to control agriculture. So people, a lot of con conservation organisations are a little bit worried about what's going on there. Interesting. And then you've got Jeff Bezos' ex-wife. Yes. Who, since she, she well, has she given is fantastic. huge amounts yeah. away, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
to causes that she believes in. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is happening, but on a, I'd like to see more of it. And, and of course, all those people you named, they are, they've been incredibly generous. And, and they're also on a pledge to you know, end up giving away all their money eventually. But um, I just think that the climate and biodiversity crises are so urgent that we need to just get it going now more, more roll, get more of it spent on these, these sorts of problems. And do you think, if we don't do anything about it in the next five or six years, more than we're doing right now, that we, we are in a hiding to nothing? <clears throat> well, um, it just, if, if we don't do anything about it in, the next, in this decade, it just becomes even bigger problem. When, when do you pass the point of no return? There's no point. There's n- there, that, isn't. there isn't a line. That isn't a line. That isn't real. No. There's, that's a real, I think that's a falsehood that needs to be called out because it leads us to the kind of a, a doomerism mm-hmm. viewpoint and that people say, well, there's no point now. It's all over. I might as well just go and burn the rest of that oil yeah. and do what, I, do what the hell I like, you know? Um, it's too late. Yeah, but it's never too late. It is never too late. Like we, you know, however much the planet warms by, we still have to keep trying to cool it down. So it, it, it's, it never ends, but it gets much more difficult and the, imp, the consequences get much, much worse and much more expensive to fix, much more, the longer we leave it. So that's why, that's why there has, that's probably why people think that there's a line because there has been talk in the media of there's only 12 years left to save the planet and things like that. Um, but what, what, it, what it really means is we really need to do things to bend the curve of emissions down um, to keep us at 1.5 degrees by this decade or when we're going to miss that, those targets of warming, of preventing you're, warming. You're a scientist. You've taken time to write this book. You've really thought about it. And it needs people like you to do stuff like that, to, to bring it to our consciousness more so. Mm. And, and in, a, in an interesting way, I mean, anyone picking that book up for the first time might not know yeah. okay, what it's all about, but it's, it's almost about getting someone's attention first, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, once you've got their attention, then raising the intrigue. Right, right. And so anyone says how to spend a trillion dollars, you know, there's a, I think there was a movie where someone had a, a million dollars they had to spend in a day when I was younger. Brewster's Millions. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, you've got to spend this million in, yeah. in, in, in the day. So it's kind of like, how do you do that? But doing yeah. it in a good way. I worry about my children. I worry about my grandchildren and what's going to happen to them mm. and the world that they're going to live in. Yeah. And whilst I'm super excited about how technology has enabled us to, to live in different ways and how we're going to be able to travel around the planet much faster in the future. Um, and, and, and by living overseas, meaning I can then become even closer to my family, even yeah. if we're not in the same country. But I'm, I'm terrified of the, the, the mess that we're creating. Yeah. And so, there's, and there's, I don't think there's a parent out there that sits there and thinks, I don't care about my kids, I don't care about my grandkids. We all do. Mm. And so maybe, maybe all of us taking more time to read books like this will bring more value to us and uh, help us try and take the right steps. I hope so, yeah. As I say, the solutions are there. You know, it's, yeah. it's not... And I think that... I really hope that is the value of things like this, is that it shows that 
hope is not lost by a long, long way. You know, there are things we can do. They're right, right now. They just need to, we just need to apply ourselves. Did you enjoy writing the book? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Oh, I mean, there's, we've only touched on a few of the things sure. in the book. You know, there's a whole load more about um, trying to explore conscious, trying to create a conscious machine, right? Or create a new life form. So that is one where I thought, let's, let's be a bit like a Bond villain in a way. <laughs> right? Imagine if you did, if you, if you could create a new life form. Um, and people, are, people have done it already with bacteria, a new bacterial life form, artificial life form. But let's try and make something more complex than a bacterium. Um, and, 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 and I think it could be done. And, and that would be an incredible, <laughs> incredible thing. But also loads of benefits to the world as you've well. Got, you've got three people sat in this room with you right now going, what the F did he just say? <laughs> yeah, well, but you can... <laughs> create a new life form. Yeah. You, well, but I was going to end it, this interview now, but now you've just let... I've got, I've got, to, know, I've got to know more about this before yeah. we finish. Tell me about that. Okay, so there are... I looked creating a new life form in two different ways. One is a machine life form. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be an AI that effectively has human level intelligence, mm -hmm. right? Um, but then the other one would be a, a, an organic life form um, that, is, that, that is artificial. So with, with bacteria, what they did was take a very simple bacterial cell, um, sequence it, all its DNA, um, then copy that, take out all the garbage in it, because all, all life forms have loads of junk in them, and then rebooted it into a different, got another bacterial cell, got rid of its DNA and put this artificial stuff in and then basically rebooted it and it starts growing again. So then you've got a, this life form that's completely artificial because it's had it, well, it's not completely artificial because its cell structure was already there, but the instructions that it uses to grow were artificial. And then you can put your own instructions in, right? So it might normally grow, say, on you know, on cheese, and, and it's adapted to do that, but you might want to make it grow on oil, and then you could put it on oil spills, and it would eat up all the oil and, 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 and make it into something good, right? So <laughs> that's why people are trying to do this stuff. So they've done it with bacteria in a limited sense, yeah. but what you need to do it in is a more complex life form which like a yeast which is vastly more complex than a bacteria mm. and then if you make an artificial yeast you can then reprogram it to do whatever you want you can make it make drugs like pharmaceuticals or you can do something like make it fix carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere or, or scale um, Jesus, so that's man. why so that's the end of the book is looking at creating new life just not in a godlike way but just you know in a that is, for, for vast scientific benefits and you know <laughs> there was a tv show when i was a kid called tomorrow's world okay it used to be on them used to look at it and they used to talk about stuff in the future and you'd be like what are you talking yeah. about you know they know like, all right you know and then, then obviously these things manifest themselves and they, they, they eventually happen. And we're sitting having a conversation right now and, and this conversation we're having, you've got three of us going, what the f yeah. yeah. But that conversation, in whether that's five or 10 years time, is gonna be a normal conversation. Yeah. So the reality could be 
that that literally could happen. That new life form could be created by breaking down the code of DNA, getting the crap out, putting the good bits in and essentially re-engineering it. Yeah. Holy mother of God. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 look, I could sit and talk to you probably yeah. the next three or four hours, and I know you've got to talk to them and stuff. Yeah. I, really, I really appreciate you coming to share the book with me today. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, really, really fantastic stuff, Rowan. And so thanks for coming to join us. So it's always important to mention people that you partner with and partners for the podcast are Najahi events and Najahi tribe. Now, Najahi sounds like an unusual word, and it is, but it's Arabic for my success. And Najahi have brought some of the world-leading public speakers, motivational speakers, inspirational leaders across to Dubai over the course of the years, and Abu Dhabi, mind you. And Najahi brought, I don't know, people like Tony Robbins, ever heard of him? Okay, Nick Vujicic, no arms, no legs, no worries, Lisa Nichols, Prince EA, Jay Shetty, uh, Alicia Keys, and people like this. And they bring them in and they run events. And from those events, we go and we learn from these incredible people. On top of that, they launched the Najahi tribe recently, where they have a collective of the world's greatest trainers, that literally you can join, become a member of, take advantage of a training from all of these different people, like real experts in their field. I've got a sneaky suspicion I might be one of them as well. But anyway, (laughs) hopefully you will go and check them out for me because you enjoy these episodes of the podcast. And remember, it's always team effort and I can't do it without the support of these people. So go check out Najahi Events, N-A-J-A-H-I events.com. I'll see you soon. Okay, so there's now three people sat in this room, now that Rowan has left, that are sitting asking ourselves how many questions. First of all, brilliant to talk to him. Secondly, so much to learn. You know, creating bacteria can then become a new version of life. I mean, just think about that. That's like, you know, your head blows off. What a great conversation, a guy with great ideas, And if we could just get our governments to start behaving better and the billionaires around the world maybe just to give a little bit more, maybe we could solve these problems. I'll see you on the next episode, folks.